When I was 24 years old, my dad got sick. And the doctor says, you know, your father has lymphoma, cancer, and it's extremely aggressive. When he passed away, I spiraled into a depression. And I started thinking about taking my life. And I remember that night, just remembering this scripture my parents taught me, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I want the devil to pay for the amount of mental and emotional pain he's inflicted on multiple people I know in the body of Christ. I remember pointing in the darkness. It was probably midnight that night. And I said, hey friends, it's a new year. It's 2024. And I wanted to kick this year off with a new podcast, The Paul Cast. So this is one of the first episodes. I'm sitting with my friend, Zach Bernatsky. He oversees all of our media and all of our creative reach, what we do as a church through our digital reach platforms. We're gonna talk today about the new book. We're gonna talk about some things God's stirring in my heart for this year and really just talk about where this message came from, what it's all about and why it is so important for you and I to win on the inside, the mind games, the heart games, so that we can win on the outside. So. Zach, tell them real quick, just kind of what's on your heart today as we're talking about this. Well, the big reason I wanted to come on today was just to ask some questions that everyone might be asking um, about the book, how it came to be, your heart behind it. And so if it's all right, I'd love to jump into some questions about, I know you've been preaching about it, you've been talking about it from stage, but let's just dive deep into the behind the scenes of how Mind Games came to be. Yeah, totally. Well, first, my first question for you is, how did this come about? What's Was there a story behind it or where did the inspiration for Mind Games come from? Man, it happened. It started actually right here where we're sitting on this stage. Um, 14 years ago, I, at that time I was 24 years old, so I'm 38. So when I was 24 years old, my dad got sick and I didn't realize how bad the sickness was. It turns out, we didn't know this, but he had secretly been battling cancer. And so he had been battling cancer for over a year, didn't tell our family, didn't tell the church. The, he told my mom, but he told my mom not to tell anyone because he didn't want us worried. And yet he would get up every Sunday on this stage and preach and preach with passion. And secretly he was battling this, you know, sickness that was killing him. And so by the time our family found out, he took off that Sunday uh, because it got really bad. This was four weeks before my wedding, um, September in 2009. And when he went into the hospital, my mom called me and said, um, come up to the hospital. Your dad's here. I said, who's he praying for? Who's he visiting? You know, hospital visits are a big thing for pastors. So I just figured he's up there praying for someone. She said, no, you need to come up here. He, he's the one that's in the hospital. He's not praying for anyone. He needs your prayers. And immediately I was like, my head started just literally spinning. I was like, what? My dad's never been sick a day in his life to my knowledge. Um, he always was like Superman. He was a hero. He was my pastor. He was my leader. He was a rock in our community, a rock, honestly, around the world. I mean, people knew him as like the pastor of pastors. So when I got up to the hospital and I see my dad laying in the hospital bed, I just lost it. I start crying. I'm like, what's going on? And my mom says, we haven't told you this, but your dad's been battling a sickness for the last year. And she didn't want to say what it was. And then the doctor walked in and the doctor starts reading, you know, the diagnosis to our whole family. My sisters are in there, their husbands, my brother's in there, his girlfriend, and my fiance, Ashley, we weren't married yet. Our wedding was coming up a couple of weeks. She was driving up to the hospital to meet me there. 
And the doctor says, you know, your father has lymphoma, cancer, and it's extremely aggressive. And I don't know how much longer we, we're going to have him around. My mom starts praying. She's like, no, she, you know, she starts speaking faith. And honestly, I did not know what to do. And I, little did I know that he had seven weeks left to live. He passed away just two weeks after our wedding, um, when we got back from our honeymoon, two weeks after our honeymoon. And it rocked my world. Um, I had just started working on staff the year before he passed. You know, when you're a pastor's kid, you're free labor. So I was working my whole life for free for my dad up until I was 23. Finally got hired on after I graduated college. And he gave me a key. He gave me a key to my office. And he said, hey, this is the key um, that I'm giving you. I was like, dad, I was a janitor at my university across the street at ORU. And they gave me a ring of keys. And I said, you're only going to give me one key. And I was a janitor there and I'm your own flesh and blood, your son here. And he was like, Paul, why do you need more keys? And I said, dad, I just want to be trusted. I want access. I want people to know that I have authority. He's like, no, you work in the college ministry. That's the only area you need a key to. This is the key to your office. So when he was in the hospital, um, he said, hey, you can use my office when you need to here's the key to my office. And he said, and I said, well, can I get other keys? He was like, no. And I remember oftentimes praying with him in the hospital right before he passed and him saying, Paul, God's hand is on your life. You're gonna do great things. And I wanna work with you as you get older. And I was like, dad, that's my dream. I wanna work with you. I wanna help build this church. And he had built this auditorium we're sitting in. Really, uh, 2007, this room was completed. So he got to preach in it just for a year and a half before he died. And um, our whole church history, we had rented out other spaces, rented out major auditoriums in the city. And so it was his dream to build this auditorium. Well, here he is, you know, he's only preached in this room for over a year. It's almost a 5,000 seat auditorium. And when he got sick, Every Sunday during those seven Sundays, we had to have someone else come and preach. One of those weekends, he asked me to preach. And I was like, dad, I'm the youngest in the family. My older brother, my older sisters are more experienced. They've been doing ministry longer than me. He was like, Paul, there's something inside. You got a, you got a calling on your life and anointing to preach. And he saw something in me I didn't see. And so this book really started when those lessons when I was young of learning to see what my dad saw in me, learning to see the same eyes of faith that he had. He would see potential in kids that never saw potential in themselves. So he would go up to kids who I knew were doing bad things. And he was like, you're a mighty man of God. There's great calling on your life. He would say it to me when I knew I was not living my best life. And he was like, you're a champion. I was like, no, I am, I'm a sinner, you know? And, and yet, he was teaching me to see with eyes of faith. And, and part of this book is teaching people to get a perspective that comes from heaven about their life, about their world, about their circumstances, their problems. One of the biggest mind games we all battle is the mind game of shame, right? The, the shame game, the blame game. I feel bad about the things I've done in my life. And shame leads to fear. When you think about the stories in the Bible of Adam and Eve, you know, when they sinned, first thing they did was they tried to hide from God. They were ashamed and they were afraid. And those shame games and blame games and fear games, it messed them up, kept them at a distance from God, kept them from seeing who they were in Christ. Um, and it wasn't until obviously the New Testament, Jesus comes and 
really rebuilds that bridge that was broken between man and God. Well, I say all that to say, I, I was discouraged when my dad was in the hospital and yet I was trying to keep the faith. But when he passed away, I spiraled into a depression. And I was pastoring our college ministry, so I would get up and preach on Tuesday nights. And then my mom asked me to start serving as her associate pastor. She stepped in as the interim senior pastor after my dad passed away. Um, the board voted her to stay in that role. And our church went through really hard times. It was a dark season. Thousands of people left the church. Thousands of people stopped giving into the ministry. And my mom was like, I can't do it. I need you to do it. So I would sit across the table from these people who raised me, teachers, coaches, leaders. And I was like, we can't afford to keep you on staff. And I would cry and they would cry. And it was really hard. I remember during that time thinking that God had a calling on my life one day to pastor this church. I felt like the Lord had spoken that to me, but I felt unworthy. I felt unqualified. I felt like I was too young. And I thought, there may not be a church for me to pastor someday because we were losing so many people and we were going through so many tough battles as a ministry and I missed my dad. So I was battling these really mind games, depression, fear, hopelessness, shame. And, I, uh, and then I would oftentimes come up to the church to try to sit down at the piano in this room, play, worship, scream, cry, talk to God, and just walk through this empty auditorium. And now, Mind you, every Sunday I would come in here and we would have more empty chairs, more empty chairs, more people had left. And so I wanted to come in here when no one was here just to get alone with God, but I didn't have a key to get in. So oftentimes I was locked out, Zach. I was locked out of not just this room, but I was locked out of the outside of the building. I was locked out of rooms I needed to get in just to be able to do my job. And I would call a janitor, call a security guard. Hey, can you come unlock these doors? And they were like, okay, why doesn't, your parents, why didn't your mom give you these keys after your dad passed? I don't know, you know, why didn't your dad ever give you these keys? And so I was constantly second guessing my qualification. I was like, man, I don't think I'm qualified. If I was qualified, my dad would have given me the keys. And I kept thinking, you know, he always said, hey, the key I gave you is the only key you need. Well, a year and a half had passed. The depression had gotten worse. I didn't want to get out of bed oftentimes. Um, I, I really faked a smile. One thing I talk about in the book is people who are depressed can come across like they're okay. You know, we, we think about the story of Robin Williams, one of the most famous actors in Hollywood who made everybody laugh and he carried a big smile. And I still remember watching the movie Hook when I was a kid that he was in and Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, I remember he was the voice of, you know, the genie on Aladdin. He was funny. He could smile, but secretly he was battling dark depression. And, and, and it wasn't just him. It was Whitney Houston. It was Kate Spade. It was Anthony Bourdain. It was pastors that we were watching taking their own life. And depression is something that you can't always spot, you know, when you're in public. People can wear a smile. They can act like they're fine. But deep down, they're battling demons of shame and fear and depression and hopelessness and anger at their family, anger at God. And so there I was, you know, I would get up and preach, but I was secretly battling this dark depression. And I talk about this in this book. Well, one night I was locked out of the building. I called these janitors, I called security guards. They were like, hey, we're locking up buildings on the other side of town. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, watching this on YouTube or watching this on Instagram, 
we're not just a church. We're a school, a college, a camp, and a dream center. So when my dad passed away, we had 450 employees at the time of his passing, um, which sounds like a lot if you think they all worked for the church, but only about 85 of them worked for the church, which is still a huge church staff. But our church was, you know, at that time, 12,000 plus people um, that were, you know, oftentimes coming, attending, and members of the church. And then the majority of the staff worked in our school, a Christian school, our Bible college. We have a camp that's over 100 acres out in the wilderness where we have zip lines and dormitories and we host summer camps and fall retreats, all that stuff. And then we have a dream center in North Tulsa where we serve the poor and the hungry and help people uh, tutoring after school. So we have teachers and all that stuff. So all these employees, right? And when I called the janitor, they were like, hey, we're locking up doors in all the other buildings. We won't be back to the main campus for another hour and a half. At this time, it was probably 1030 at night. I told my wife, hey, I need to go and just pray. I just need to go and talk to God at the church. So I was sitting out in the parking lot and I was like, dad, I miss you. He had been gone for a couple of years. I couldn't get into the building, right? So the security guards, janitors couldn't come back for another hour and a half. And I was like, all right, I'm just gonna break into this building. So I start trying to break into victory, start pounding the door, like banging my hand, hurt my hand. Then I try to shimmy my credit card between the cracks of the doors. I'm trying to pick the lock, nothing's working. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna take this key my dad gave me. Um, and I'm gonna shove it into the keyhole and then I'm gonna yank that door and I'm gonna pry my way in. I don't know what I was thinking. I stuck the key in the keyhole and it fit perfectly. And I remember looking at the key and I was like, what? It, it literally went right into the keyhole. And then I turned it and it unlocked the outside doors of this massive Victory Campus building. And I was like, God, did you just change my key? And I remember opening the door and thinking, what just happened? Like, I've never tried this before. And, uh, and I thought, I wonder if this unlocks more doors. So I start putting it in doors down the hallway of our building and it starts unlocking the door to the choir room, the door to the drum closet. And it dawns on me, I think I have the master key. And I've actually had this master key for multiple years now sitting in my pocket and I haven't been using it. And I've been questioning my qualification, questioning my worthiness, questioning if my dad trusted me. And I'm like, if this is the master key, this is about to change everything on the inside of me. And I remember walking over to this side door that enters into this main auditorium. And I, I was on the outside of that side door. This room intimidated me. Because I, anytime I got up to preach here, I felt like I had to be like my dad. I had to sound like my dad. I had to wear his shoes. My mom literally gave me all the pairs of my dad's shoes after he died. And his shoes were bigger than my feet. And, you know, I just felt like I couldn't fill his shoes. I felt like he was a better uh, fundraiser. He was a better visionary. He got people excited to give towards the Dream Center and help the poor. And I thought, we're gonna have to close down all of these entities. We're gonna have to shut down the school. We can't afford to keep it open. Can't afford to pay the teachers. We're gonna have to give the Dream Center to some other church in town because we can't afford to pay for all the employees at the Dream Center. And I was so discouraged. So when I stood outside that door, I said, if this key unlocks that door and this room that I've been so intimidated to preach in, that I have access to this room, this is gonna change everything. And I remember putting the key in, unlocking it. 
and I walked into this room and I actually came right here and I sat on this stage and I looked at all these chairs and what used to scare me and what used to make me go, oh gosh, why did dad build such a big room in the city of Tulsa? We're not Houston, Texas. We don't have millions of people in our city. We're not New York City. We're not like Los Angeles. We're, we're, we're a small city in the Midwest. And I thought that night, this room is not big enough to hold what God's about to do in and through this ministry. And I remember saying those words and it scared me because I was like, I don't know if I believe that because I've been feeling like it's way too big and we're never going to ever see this room full again because our best days are behind us. We don't have victory. God's finished with my family. I just, I had been speaking so many negative words, but that night when I realized I had the master key, I looked up at heaven. And oftentimes when I look up in this room, it's almost like I can see a window in heaven as if my dad, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, there's a great cloud of witnesses. So, so oftentimes I feel like my dad peers down from heaven and looks in at victory services. And so I looked up and I was like, dad, I can't believe I've had the master key this whole time. And it's almost like I could see him like hitting his head, like, duh, I gave it to you. I wanted you to discover it. I wanted you to find out. I wanted you to, to come to the conclusion that you've had it all this time. I think there's a reason my dad didn't tell me that it unlocked all the doors. I think he wanted me to discover that. And I stuck it in my Bible. I remember sticking this key in my Bible. And I remember when I did, I said, I said this out loud. I'm gonna stick it in my book right here, Mind Games. I said, Christ in me is the master key that unlocks every door to victory, Christ in me. And I remember the Lord saying, you're not the only one with the master key. Every Christian has the master key. If they have Jesus, they have the master key. And that is where the book got birthed. That's where the story of mind games came from is that I wanted people to know no matter what they're walking through, no matter what they've lost or what they're facing, that they have the master key to victory. And so the book Mind Games starts with that story. And then I begin to go chapter by chapter talking about how to access those locked doors of freedom, whether it's freedom over or victory over anxiety, over addiction, over shame, over fear, over uh, all the different mind games that the enemy plays with us. So that's kind of how the story started. That all happened in the years between 2009 and 2014, when I stepped into Pastor Victory in 2014, by the mercy and grace of God, we have not had to have layoffs since then. Our finances stabilized, our attendance stabilized. God grew our church. During COVID, we saw, I, God had given me a dream that one day we'd be reaching 60,000 people a week. That happened in 2020 during COVID, where we started seeing 60,000 people tune in weekly through our online ministry worldwide, um, across the different platforms. And then we've seen God's continual hand of provision and just favor and reaching people and starting campuses. And really that's my story, but I think the story is for any person out there, whether you're a teacher, a coach, a plumber, whether you're a coffee barista or you're a creative person and you work in graphic art design or videography or photography, whatever, whatever you do, there are seasons we walk through where we experience pain, setback, loss, feelings of discouragement, feelings of disqualification. Uh, maybe you're in high school or college, or maybe you're a mom, dad, or young adult, or maybe you are someone who's older. You, you've watched your kids grow up and you feel like maybe God's finished with you. That is a mind game. 
And it, it, you have to win on the inside in order to win on the outside. I had to overcome that lie of the enemy. I had believed a lie that God was done with me. God was done with victory. God was done with the Darty family. And when I believed that lie, I lived that lie. And so I had to break that lie off. I had to unlock that door. Depression for me was like going into a house and instead of staying on the normal floor, I found a door to a basement and I walked down those stairs into the first basement. Then I found another door and I walked down another flight of stairs to a second basement and then a third basement, a fourth, till finally I was probably seven floors below where, I, where everyone else was. Now I could walk into a room and smile and wave, but deep down inside, I was, seven, I was in a basement seven floors below mentally and emotionally. And I had to figure out how to climb out of that. When I got free of depression, it wasn't broken overnight. And I talk about in this book, for every person, it's gonna look different. I went through counseling. I met with really good Christian counselors, but I also did some practical things myself um, that helped lead to the victory. And this is part of like, this is my story that I want as many people as possible. There was one night, I was walking on a bridge, looking over that overpass, and I started thinking about taking my life. I started thinking about jumping off this, this overpass bridge highway into oncoming traffic. I knew if I jumped off here, the fall is not gonna kill me, but if I land it in front of a semi truck, my life could be over like that. My pain, my misery, my problems would disappear. And I had felt like I was a problem. I felt like people don't want me. Like my life's not worthy. I was listening to the lie of the enemy that, my, that everyone in my life would be better off if I was gone. And that is a lie from the devil. If you're watching this right now, don't listen to that lie. Get this book. Because one, I had to overcome that lie. So you're not the only one. Two, like God has so much more in store for you. The devil wouldn't be whispering lies in your mind and heart if he didn't think there was a destiny on your life. So when, when you're a target for the enemy, he's gonna come at you with lies of discouragement, fear, shame. You're never gonna get married. You'll never have kids. You'll never get past this addiction. You'll never be free of this problem. Your life's not worthy. All those lies. We have to rise above that. We have to fight back. And it's more than just a game. It's really a battle. Um, but this is, this is my story of winning that battle and continuing to fight the battle. Just because you win in one season, doesn't mean you're done for the rest of your life. You gotta keep winning, you gotta keep fighting. And so again, that's what this book is about. So I know I took a long time to answer your question. Um, and I don't know if I finished that story about standing on that overpass. I'll just say this, the night I was standing on that overpass, something happened. There were, it was almost like raindrops hit my head where I felt like God was reminding me of my purpose. I felt like maybe my dad was up in heaven. He had passed away and I felt like he was dropping little raindrops of scriptures. The Bible says, train a child up in the way he should go and he will not depart from it when he gets old. So I felt like that night, I'm standing on that bridge. I felt like the devil was laughing in my face. Hey, you're over, your church is shrinking. You're, there's no future for you. You're, you're better off dead, all those lies. And I remember that night, just remembering this scripture my parents taught me, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And I remember pointing in the darkness. It was probably midnight that night. Cars are driving underneath that overpass. And I said, Satan, I refuse to die. I refuse to jump. I refuse to end my life. I choose to live. I choose to live. I'm getting out of this depression. I'm breaking free of these suicidal thoughts. And I'm going to make this 
Like, I'm going to make you pay for what you've put me through mentally. And so part of writing this book is also like, I want the devil to pay for the amount of mental and emotional pain he's inflicted, not just on me, but on multiple people I know in the body of Christ. When I started sharing my story of getting out of depression, walking in victory freedom, I started meeting hundreds and thousands of people who said, man, I have struggled with those same thoughts, those same feelings, those same emotions. And for all different reasons, for some people, it's because they lost a job. For other people, it's because their marriage fell apart. They walked through divorce. For other people, they lost a child. They went through a miscarriage. They lost a mom. They lost a dad. They they walked through something painful. They experienced failure in some way, maybe moral failure or professional failure. I don't know. But we all have different reasons why we find ourselves feeling and thinking these things and allowing the enemy to mess with us. And I'm telling you, we got to win because the world is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to rise up, walk in victory, overcome the mind games and step into your place of authority. And so that's what this book is about. Um, I know it took a long time to answer that question. No, it's great. It's so cool to hear the story behind it, the way that God moved, the way he orchestrated things through your dad, through the master key, um, to just teach you all these things that now you get to share years later. And I know it's been years and years of developing this book and really develop developing the story and what you want to say behind it to encourage people. And so why, why should someone buy this book give the, or give this book to someone who's in need? Why is this such a great tool for those who are in the midst of that battle? And why do we need that tool walking through mental health? I know sometimes we can feel like we're in it alone, but why can a tool like this help someone who's struggling in a mental and emotional battle? Well, two things. I'm glad you said it had, it did take years to write this. So I wrote a version of this book back in 2014, 2015, but it wasn't ready yet. And I was this close to releasing it. And then I felt my spirit, hold on, this book's not ready. It's not done. It needs to stay in the oven and walked through a series of writing more different versions of it. I actually wrote three or four different versions of this book and finally finished it in 2023, this year. Um, or actually you're watching this video in 2024, but I finished it in 2023. And it was for me a blueprint to walk in victory in the mind and heart. The reason I think this book is worth your investment for your life and for someone else that you might gift it to is because we oftentimes don't know where to look what to do when we are in a mental battle, an emotional battle. We're like, who do I call? We're, we're right, we pull out our phone and we're like, who can I talk to right now that, that would understand the pain of what I'm feeling and facing? And so we're like, okay, should I call my mom? Should I call my dad? Crud, for me, my dad was gone, right? And he was the man I would call often when I had problems. For others, they're like, okay, maybe I'll call my spouse or if you're dating someone, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or call my kids. But there are certain things that no one is gonna be able to understand except God. And this book is a blueprint for you and God to work together to see the victory over that mind game. Now, we can get help from our family. We can get help from a counselor. We can get help from our friends, our loved ones. And we need that. And I talk about that in this book that you are not supposed to fight alone. You need community. You need relationships. You need accountability. You need someone who you can open up and talk to about the hard, ugly truth of what you're facing. But at the same time, 
the reason I wrote this book is because when I would talk to certain people, I found that not one person held all of the keys that I needed to walk in victory. And I found that the key was often Christ in me. And I had to discover, what does that look like? What does it look like Christ in me is the key to victory over the lies of the enemy? And each lie required a different practical step. Sometimes it was the step of worship. Sometimes it was the step of prayer. Sometimes it was the step of calling up friends and community. And I share each of those different practical steps, kind of the stories behind it. Um, But for me, when I was in the middle of my battle, I, I called multiple people. I called multiple pastors. I called multiple family members, friends, counseling. And I did read a couple of books that helped me find victory. I read books like Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Myers, Every Day of Friday by Joel Osteen, um, The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. And each of those books and conversations and counseling sessions, it was all part of the path towards healing and victory. And a lot of that I just packaged all into one book. So this book is not gonna be the be all end all towards your victory mentally and emotionally, but it's gonna be a huge practical resource to use for winning in the mind. By the way, I think we all are in a mental battle. Like, I don't think this is just for some people who are battling depression or battling suicidal thoughts. This book is very much uh, really like open to serving all kinds of different battles in the mind. The battle of fear, the battle of shame, the battle of worry and doubt, um, the battle even of just trusting in God when life doesn't make sense. I talk in one chapter, I talk about a comparison battle where I battled comparison with another pastor friend of mine. um, And I share some pretty funny, like transparent stories of dealing with jealousy and feeling like if I don't do what he does or say what he says, I'll never be good enough. If I don't drive what he drives or where would he wear. So we all have different battles. Sometimes the battle is the comparison game. Sometimes the battle is insecurity, just feeling like I don't have what it takes. Um, And this book really focuses in on all those different types of battles. So whatever it is for you, I just want to see you win. I love that. Whether it's big or small, we're all fighting a battle. And just because your battle's small doesn't mean that it's not still a battle. And it's not something that we still need help for. You know, when I went through a lot of like mental health stuff when I was a teenager and I always wish, I was like, I wish my problem was bigger. That way I could be like, oh, see, look at me. It's look at, look at, look at my testimony. Look how hard this is. Um, I wish I wanted people to understand how hard it is. I felt like it wasn't big enough for people to understand, but it was still my own battle and there were still thing, a lot of things to work through. And like you said, you'd go to, you'd call your friend or you bring a parent or you go to counseling and God uses all those pieces to orchestrate that healing process, but not one person has the answer. And for me, it was the same as you. At the end of the day, I found that Christ in me is the master key. And that's what I needed to break free. Um, and find that mental health and that yeah. win that battle of mental and emotional health. And I'm still in the battle show up differently every, every day, every week, every year, but every year it's yep, new and different. It's new and different. You're on a different side. I was talking with my sister um, and I'm the youngest of four siblings. And she said, you know, I feel like every year I'm winning a battle and I'm starting a new battle. <laughs> and she was like, I, you know, Billy Graham said, even in his final years of life, he said, I'm still fighting on the battlefield against temptation and discouragement. And that honestly was encouraging to hear a man of such great faith 
who changed the world spiritually, Mother Teresa battled depression when she was in her 80s. I don't think we ever graduate fighting the battle. One time my wife said to me, she said, do you feel like we're qualified to uh, minister to people when we are also people who constantly have to receive the ministry from God through other pastors and leaders that we glean from and lean into? And I was like, yes. I was like, every person God uses throughout history needs the ministry of God themselves, not just giving out ministry, but being ministered to because we're all in a battle. Billy Graham was in a battle even when he was leading millions of people to Christ. Joyce Myers in a battle, even as she's leading people. Joel Osteen, you know, you go through the list of names and Mother Teresa and Smith Wigglesworth, Oral Roberts, all these people, they never did graduate on earth from the battle. As long as we're living and breathing and walking on this earth, we will be facing mind games, heart games in our 70s, 80s, 90s. My grand-grand turns 100 this year in 2024. And she leaned over to me um, recently in a church service and she said, I feel discouraged. I said, why, grand grand? She said, I just, I, I, um, I feel lonely and I feel at times like God forgets about me. And I was like, grand grand, thanks for your honesty. I was like, just, just, just so you know, we all feel that too. She was like, I know. She's like, I've got the victory though. God is with me. And she was winning that battle as she was opening up honestly. So I just say this, if you're watching out there and you're like, hey, I've graduated mind games, I don't need that. The truth is, as long as we're living and breathing, this will be a part of our daily, yearly battle. And yet at the same time, we don't have to be defeated every year. We don't have to be on that battlefield, scarred and bloody and laying out with swords through us. We can be on that battlefield and say, yeah, I took a couple blows this year. I did get hit, but I finished in victory. I fought the good fight. That's what Paul the Apostle says, right? I fought the good fight. I finished the faith. So I just say, get this book, invest in your battle, invest in winning the battle of your mind and your heart um, and winning against those games the enemy plays. Come on. That's so powerful. And this is going to be a great tool, great resource for so many. So whether it is for you personally or for someone that they love, that they want to invest in, where can people purchase this book? Where can people find it? Yes. Okay. So you can get Mind Games uh, anywhere books are sold. Wherever you buy books, um, you could buy it in person or you could buy it online or you could get it on Audible or audiobooks, wherever you buy an audiobook. Uh, I read it to you. So, and I add a couple of like commentary things in there on the audiobook, but I just think, you know, one thing I will say about reading, when I was younger, my dad challenged me to read a book a year, right when I first started learning how to read. And he was like, hey, if you will read a book, I'll pay you $5 to finish a good sized book. And it motivated me because I did not want to read. And uh, it made me want to start reading just to get that money. And then he was like, all right, I'm gonna stop paying you because you're reading more. And I realized that the more I read books that were helpful, like you could read a, a book that's kind of fun, like a novel or something that's just a good story, you know? I know like sometimes my wife, she read like Hunger Games. She enjoys <clears throat> a good novel, but there's something about a book that's focused on spiritual growth. And this is that book. It's spiritual growth mixed with some humor and fun stories, but it's really about helping you and me and all of us, those kinds of books that you would buy in a Christian bookstore 
an inspirational section, a motivational section. It's about us becoming who God's called us to be. It's not a self-help book. It's a God help book. It's like, let God help you win on the inside this year. So thank you, Zach. Dude, thank you also for even just sharing a little bit about your own journey as well um, and winning in the mind. And yeah, by the way, on this podcast, I want to start having more conversations about not just this book, but about winning in the mind and heart. And I'm going to bring on some different people uh, in 2024, some great leaders and great pastors out there to talk about winning in their mind and their heart, what they face off the stage. Um, and so we'll have different people like Bill Johnson. We'll have different people, uh, Keon Henderson, Craig Rochelle. Uh, we'll talk with Bob Goff. We'll talk with Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, some cool worship leaders, music artists as well. Uh, and this podcast, podcast, it's all about, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about just kind of behind the scenes, life off the stage, conversations about faith, family, parenting. I got five kids. Uh, Zach is going to have children. Uh, that's his dream and desire. And God's going to bring that to pass. But I think we all need help out there. And so this podcast is going to be kind of a, uh, a spiritual tool where we talk about books like the Mind Games book. We'll go through some devotionals in that book um, and have conversations with other pastors, leaders, staff members like Zach at Victory, where we talk through um, winning on the inside so you can win on the outside. Well, thank you for having me on here. I'm excited yes. to be on the episode. I'm excited to do this, whether it's here or behind the camera. I'm excited for Paul Cast and what we have in store. So thank you, Pastor Paul. I thank, appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Much love. Your best days are right in front of you. We'll see you soon.